HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring food for the eyes, how the art and culinary worlds collide. It's incredibly elaborate. It's a feast for the eyes, a banquet dinner with garnished ham, turkey, and an array of accompaniments. We shot uh, baguettes with like paint dripping off of them with the blue, white, and red from the French flag. Oh, what did the student tell me? They said, the camera eats first. And it's so true. It's so true. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Good evening, and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting from Roberta's on Heritage Radio Network. As some of you may know, I recently accepted a position at Ambrosia, a closed-loop manufacturing company using food waste as a raw material. It's an incredible company, and the impact it can have on reducing food waste that is sent to landfill and the subsequent greenhouse gas emissions that are the result of doing so, are enormous, which is why I wanted to take this opportunity for you all to learn more about it. This is an especially exciting time at Ambrosia as we just launched our first product, Made of Food Waste, which we're going to talk more about in a bit. To dive into all of this, I'm joined in the studio today by the one and only Amanda Weeks, CEO and co-founder of Ambrosia. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you for having me. (gasps) Thank you for coming on. It's been a really long time since I've seen you. I actually just found out how to properly pronounce your name. You did? I didn't. I didn't know that it was pronounced. It's been like a long time. Yeah. Well, I've never heard you say it before. That's just a fair point. I I say loot. No, yeah, I won't totally not wrong. Say that. Yeah. <laughs> I got your name right right away. Well, it's a little, whatever. It's weeks. That's true. <laughs> it's a little easier. All right. Well, now now you know. Um, I feel like we're so much closer already. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I said at the beginning, it's a closed-loop manufacturing company. You know, we it's also it's basically an organic waste management solution um, in terms of, like, its value, right? Can you just further describe what this means and what the company does? So this is something that I've been working on for almost six years. And when I first started working on this, it was because there was a lack of processing technology for food waste at a meaningful scale to address all of the laws and regulations that were being passed across the country to divert food waste from landfill. And we ended up taking more of a manufacturing approach and departing from, um, you know, uh, traditional sort of best practices in waste management by just not approaching it as a waste management solution at all, more so approaching it as food waste is, you know, made up of organic compounds and you then 
reclaim those compounds and use it in manufacturing as opposed to just, you know, creating gas from it or creating compost or something like that. And we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what are the kind of like options on the market now. But before we get into that, can you just like throw some stats on us about why food waste is bad? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I would feel love like, to. I feel like you may know a few of these <laughs> off the top of your head. So let's see. Every year around the world, we throw away 1.3 billion tons of food. That's a lot. That's a lot. I have tried to quantify that in different ways. Like, I tried to quantify that once in saying that's the equivalent of throwing, like, millions of elephants in a hole every year. People, like, didn't get that. I thought that was weird. And then I tried to do another one with... um, People didn't get that? I'm trying, I'm trying to visualize them. Like, what's a really big thing yeah. that, like, people know it's big? Like a and, stadium. Yeah. So, I, so yeah. So, I, so I, I also tried to do that. It's like, what if you – it's like filling up – like, the, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium is the biggest football stadium in the country. And it's like, that would be – and I forget what the number is now. But I tried to quantify that. I had, like, a slide uh, at the when I started the company when I was first raising money that just, like – built on uh, little icons of football stadiums showing how many stadiums it would be that you'd have to fill up. Um, But it's a lot. Yeah. And it's every year. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that it's especially, it's very apropos of the day to talk about football stadiums of the day that we're recording right now, since it is actually during the Super Bowl. Clearly, we're big football fans. (laughs) I don't even know who's playing. I I just found out. Um, I think it's Kansas City and the San Francisco. Actually, the only way I know it's football or football season and the Super Bowl every year is um, recipes on Instagram. There you go. It's like when it's coming up to the Super Bowl, I see a bunch of Super Bowl recipes, and that's the only way that I know it's the Super Bowl. And Roberta's is surprisingly not crowded right now, which I think is also, I walked in and I was like, oh, where is everybody? Oh, they're watching TV. Okay, so um, food waste is really bad, and it also, you know, I think we talk a lot about how much, how many resources are wasted along with the food. Right, the whole life cycle of food would be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter behind China and the United States if it were a country. That's a very famous stat Mm -hmm. by the UN that gets touted a lot. And it's just from the resources of growing it, from the land to the energy and the water, and then in the supply chain, getting it around. And then also the emissions that are generated when that waste then goes to landfill. Um, Landfills are the third largest methane emitter in the US. And methane's really bad. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know more potent than CO two in the short term, at warming the planet. Um, and yeah, so it's all just bad, just yeah. bad stuff. So you were like, I need to find a solution to this. Yeah, it seemed like something where I had already been looking into getting into food. I had a, more of a background in business. I almost ran away from New York in 2012 to work on a dairy farm in Maine. Have mm-hmm. I ever told you that? Mm, I don't know. Okay. But I could see that being a potential. Yeah. But then you did a hard pivot. Yeah. yeah. And so I started looking at food and you know, I'm from New York and I grew up near what used to be the biggest landfill in the world. That was New York's primary landfill. And so fresh kills. the convergent fresh kills. Yeah. And so the convergence of food and waste and climate change, um, I think, really clicked for me when I first started working on this. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is my thing. Right. Food. Food waste. Food waste. I think that people don't realize that Fresh Kills was actually in the city. It was on Staten Island. Yes. Yeah. So it's you... like half, not half, but it's like, it's a big part of Staten Island. And it's closed now? It's closed now. It's, uh, they're in the process of turning it into a park because it was originally a wetland. Oh. Which is great. Yeah. Of course, that it was a landfill. Yeah. It was originally a wetland because you put a landfill on it because you can't build anything there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now they're in the process. They've they've closed it. They've capped it. And they're in the process of turning it into a park. Okay. I haven't been there, actually. We should go on a field trip there. I think that would be a really fun field trip yeah. outing. Let's do that. Um, okay. Next week. We're a little Maybe busy not. right now. <laughs> We're a little busy. Maybe we should wait till the spring. Yes. Um, all right. So you talked about how the process is largely a manufacturing process. How... and. Do you have a background in biology or engineering? How did you kind of, I mean, you created this. Yes. And I don't. (laughs) Um, And whenever people ask me 
why or how I came to this. I like to give lots of pithy answers like I am a crazy person and I was bored, which are partially true. Um, but crazy or I, bored? Both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, which were partially true or, or were slash are partially true. Um, but it, I've, I've always um, been very sort of like restless and never satisfied. And so, and, and I like challenges. And so I figured I'm going to, you know, try to work on this big problem in a world that I don't know at all. And, you know, over the last six years, I have gotten very much entrenched in that world. Um, but I have you know, more of a background in business. I spent a long time in marketing and analytics, which I used to be embarrassed about when I started the company. I used to kind of downplay that. And I always felt like that was my background was sort of the weakest link about the whole company um, because I thought we had a great idea. We, um, we were in the right place at the right time. But I felt like the fact that I didn't have a background in waste or in science or in engineering was a hindrance for the company. And now, based on where we are and where the industry is, I think the fact that I have a background in marketing is now a huge advantage because a lot of other companies in this space don't have that, that sort of consumer-facing element to them. Which is a big part of the company and what we're, you're doing. Yes. Well, now it is. I've come around to, it, to, to uh, bringing that to the forefront. And why, tell, us, tell, tell us more about that. Why I've come around to bringing that to the forefront. Well, and you know how the company has kind of changed mm-hmm. over, oh. over the few, or you know, expanded. Yes. So we were originally called, well, actually, we were originally, originally called Response Cycle. Um, oh, for that, a that I did not know. Yeah, my ex-husband came up with that. Um, <laughs> and then uh, if you Google response cycle, two words, weird stuff comes up. And uh, so we changed it. Um, and uh, we had just started in uh, Urban X. We were just started in this startup accelerator. And we were actually just about to get written up in Fast Company. It was going to be our first press coverage and uh, and I was like oh we, we need we need a name we don't have a name we can't be response cycle we have to come up with a new name and so we came up with industrial slash organic which people constantly got wrong and always bothered me and it was supposed to be a play on i slash o or input output which is a software term um, and we also were expecting that we were really just going to be a waste company we hadn't really thought too much about the the other side of that, like the end products, we just figured we, we need to come up with a process for food waste that can handle it in the city, that could deploy quickly, that's low cost, no odor, yada, yada, yada. And so we felt like we needed to have a like blue chip kind of like waste management company name. Um, and then as the company evolved and I got really tired of saying industrial organic over and over again because it's quite a few syllables <laughs> – um, and as we, you know, started to pivot more towards thinking about product development, thinking about the circular economy um, and focusing our efforts more there, it made sense to change our name. And we chose Ambrosia because Ambrosia is the food and drink of the ancient gods that made them immortal. And so we wanted to imply this idea that food can be immortal and food can make things be sort of circular and reborn. Um, and so our first product is Veles, which is a multi-surface cleaner, um, which is an ancient god that is uh, a shapeshifter uh, and of like water, earth, the underworld, and magic. So we thought that that covered all the bases. <laughs> All right, so that's the first product. So basically, the company has taken, you know, it's, this evolution is that it started as a waste management, organic waste, organic waste management. Um, solution and then now it is sort of expanded. Ambrose has expanded to valorize the outputs and to create new products using that waste. Right, and our first product is being sold direct to consumer, which I think is also unique. Mm-hmm. There are several other companies in the space that are doing things, you know, that are doing fertilizers and agricultural products and animal feed additives, and those are spaces that we've looked at. But I felt like it was. Uh, it would differentiate us to to create a full-on consumer product sold direct to consumer as opposed to sold, you know, commercially or industrially. And I felt like 
that was something that would set us apart. And then that was something that I knew how to do. I knew how to sell products to consumers. And we, we shall see how this strategy will turn out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of the reason why we took that approach. Because I felt like as the space started heating up and as more and more startups and, and more established companies were evolving um, their approaches to food waste, I felt like this was a path that uh, there wasn't a lot of competition. So I want to talk about, uh, learn more about, you know, the the product and um, uh, and why, you know, that specific product. But I kind of want to go back and do a little bit more um, like explaining about, like, mm-hmm. I want to talk about food waste processing mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and kind of get like a, a more like a better context of like the overall field. Um, so, and what the other options are and kind of what makes like Ambrosia unique in its um, like, you know, in its perspective. So first, can you just tell us what closed loop manufacturing means? Cause I don't know if everybody knows. I mean, it makes sense, right? It makes sense. Like, Oh, you, you it's a circle. Yeah, and it's funny. Some of these terms, I was actually asked recently to define closed loop, and I was like, um, because it's something that, yeah, it like sounds obvious. You don't really think about how to define it. Um, But I think for us, uh, what it means is manufacturing products that are not only intended and designed to be circular, but that source its materials in a circular way. So it's also making its product out of a, you know, a waste material or, um, or yeah, or, or, or a, another type of, uh, material that was maybe, you know, for example, the bottles that our cleaning product is in are, um, overstock. So we buy them from, from a surplus dealer. So we're just thinking about the approach of not only is our product made to be circular because aluminum is infinitely recyclable, but the way that we chose to make it also circular because of the inputs that you yeah work with yeah being good waste yeah okay right. so it's like you're sure yeah so <laughs> so it's like food waste doesn't end in landfill you repurpose that and don't require raw materials and it right and then and then the product itself is also designed to be circular or closed loop um, and so that's why we we came up with that term. It's 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 beyond it's beyond waste management. It's more than waste management. Um, mm-hmm. Where we're really seeking to valorize food waste in a way that it can be um, treated like a raw material or treated in an environment that feels more like a manufacturing facility, which I think our, our demo facility in New Jersey feels like it feels more like a food processing facility or another type of, uh, like product manufacturing facility as opposed to waste. Like nothing ever touches the ground. Right. Everything is sterile. Um, you know, we, we approach it in our operations as more like a manufacturing facility than a waste facility in terms of our practices. Right. Um, what are the other, what are the other like options for food waste processing? So we talked a little bit about how it's our, you know, Ambrosia is better, but like, what are the, what's out there? I want to say that. I want to say Oh, I'm saying that. Different. <laughs> oh, sorry. Th- I'm saying that. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Because it is. So, yeah. So, I mean, other opportunities out there, I, I, there aren't that many of them, right? Yeah. So there are, you know, so there's composting, of course. Um, and it's the, it's, it's sort of sh- used shorthand now. So, you know, when, when you're in an, your office building says they compost, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, it, it, people view food waste at like as compost, like people call food waste compost and it's not compost. Right. Um, and so it, it's um, composting, which is when I started this company, it seemed so easy. It's like, oh yeah, you compost it. We just need to send it to a compost facility. But what is that? The problem. You just send food scraps, you know, you um, make food scraps into soil. Yeah. And, but, but the thing is composting is difficult to scale, especially depending on where you are and what kind of weather and land you have. And, um, and it's difficult in this area. 
uh, in 20, in the end of 2013, when the Bloomberg administration first passed the law that mandated commercial waste, um, commercial food waste be diverted from landfill, they were expecting it to go to a compost facility in Delaware. A compost facility in Delaware was our closest and, and best uh, option. Um, and it was shut down. They lost their permit. It was closed because of fires, because of inconsistent times to compost. And then they would end up with surplus food waste that was like sitting in a shed and rotting um, and odor and all these things. And, um, and, and so I, when I first started looking at the space, that all sort of like went down right, uh, right when I started learning about this. And it seemed clear to me immediately that composting wasn't really a, a scalable long-term solution because of the issues of um, running a compost facility at scale and also just because of the value. You know, it's an expensive operation and there's only so much compost you can sell and it's not very expensive. Um, and so that was one of my first insights is like we needed to, to um, find ways to make food waste valuable and to also diversify the output so you're not reliant on just selling one product, mm -hmm. um, especially a product that's seasonal like compost is. And then there's anaerobic digestion, which is um, you know, large towers of food waste, sometimes mixed with wastewater treatment. Um, and then essentially they're, you know, harvesting the the methane gas for you for energy use um they still have all the residuals left over called digestate sometimes like i guess composted sometimes that goes to landfill and then um you know you have this very expensive process um where you still have to um you know refine the gas and do all these things um and then you have to get it back into the grid. And then you have to compete against the price of natural gas, which is very cheap right now. Um, and so uh, anaerobic digestion, uh, you know, while I think in certain circumstances, like on a farm or even in like a, a theme park or something, makes a lot of sense um, as a municipal solution. Um, it seems it just like, the for how costly it is and then how much you, how high of a tipping fee you have to charge in order to cover your operating cost and then you know you don't really have that end market mm -hmm. um in a real way um you know I, I think prevents solutions like that from being viable um and then there are some other companies like there are some companies that are doing bioplastics um and uh, but again like that only that only covers one sort of portion of um, of food waste. Like there's there's multiple byproducts from that. And so what we're trying to do is take a holistic approach to um, try to develop a variety of products from all components of food waste, from the you know fibers and carbon and fats and oils um, to the water. Um, you know, in a way that allows us to scale and provide a real um, food waste alternative. And the idea is to have, unlike a composting facility where you can't, the idea is to have these, um, like, manufacturing facilities, Ambrosia's manufacturing facilities in urban areas? Yes. That was really the impetus of our whole approach and, um, and what we set out to do is that it was very important to us that, you know, in order to, in order to really provide a viable option, you needed to be close to where the waste is generated. Transportation is a huge cost in the waste industry, especially with food waste because it's so heavy because it's a lot of water. Mm -hmm. And so you have this very heavy, like wet, volatile material that you're now trucking to Ohio to a landfill or to Delaware to a compost facility. Yeah. And and so like that, not not only the truck emissions, but just the cost of that um, and, you know, and having vehicles on the road that are disturbing communities, you know, it is a a big issue and is also one of the reasons why these mandates are, are uh, coming out in the first place is to try to cut that down. And so, um, yeah, our whole, our whole approach has been to kind of reverse engineer a food waste processing solution that can exist within cities 
in a smaller footprint. So our whole thing is, I call it distributed yet managed. So it's not like an on-site thing where it's like there's a machine that kind of like liquefies it, puts it down the drain. And it's not, you know, three hours away upstate or further. You know, it's a, it's something where we have these sort of like micro facilities in an industrial building that you wouldn't even know what it was, you know, in, in an industrial zone, like in Bushwick or in Massbeth or in um, like Sunset Park or something like that. Um, and again, so it, it's, it's, it harkens back to our approach as um, treating this like manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Where does the waste come from now that you are using? So right now we partner with um, commercial waste haulers in the city um, and, and for our demo facility and our food waste primarily right now comes from um, Google's office in New York. Okay. So, but through a, we don't partner directly with them. Mm-hmm. We partner with the waste haulers. Right. Um, okay. So there are, so I also wanted to, ask I don't know if I'm jumping ahead but like uh, what was the process like for you getting into this field like what steps I mean I think there are people listening and like how did you actually build this business you went into an accelerator so you had an idea you're like this is a really great idea I need to make this happen so that you imagine there was fundraising along the way like kind of like can you outline broad like the broad stroke steps that you took in over the past few years I think I blacked out um, <laughs> no I I, I you um, blacked out for a few years yeah <laughs> I don't know what happened um, but no I mean it's it's been it's it's been a long road and I've worked really hard and I've made a lot of sacrifices um, but I used to say and I don't really say this much anymore but I definitely think it's it's all about networking Um it's all about you because it's it so much of where how we've gotten where where we are is through the help of other people is um, is through introductions is through someone willing to give me the time to tell me about their field. You know, I, the first year that I started working on this company, I was just doing research, really, um, and uh, talking to uh scientists and engineers in different fields um, and learning more just about materials handling technology um, and, and process engineering. Um, and yeah, it was just, you know, it's putting yourself out there, going to events, going to things, trying to talk to people. And it's really, really hard. Um, I, I used to say that I'm really grateful for when I made the switch to start being on panels and speaking at events because it's so much easier because people just want to come up to you and talk to you <laughs> um, and you don't have to, um, you know, try to be like, you know, trying to enter conversations or trying to be, you know, uh, coming in as, as an outsider. And I also think that I was I was lucky uh, timing is also everything. You know, I think I was getting into this space before it became, before there was greater awareness. And so I think there were just like less people mm-hmm. who were interested in this, who were trying to do something in this space. I think that if I was starting now, um, it would be even more difficult. But definitely when I was starting out, I did get a lot of people being like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> But or just not understanding, like yeah. why, you know? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and so I think that the, that's also you know a lot of my evolution as a CEO is like getting better at explaining this and getting better at storytelling and getting getting better at at um, at, uh, at just also like getting people excited and sort of legitimizing it. Yeah, I imagine it was not really an easy sell, especially because. I mean, in my mind, this field is, like, very, and I don't know if this is true, but, like, male-dominated probably hasn't been, like, um, and this word is annoying, but, like, disrupted for a long time, right? I don't think that it's, like, the sexiest field necessarily. And as a young, what were you, like, in your 30s, like, late 20s? I mean, not in your what? 30s, in your late, in your late 20s. Oh, when 30s. I started. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine not a lot of people, yeah. like, I w- yeah, looked I was, like, like you. Yeah, <laughs> um, Well, I, th- yes and no. 
I think that, like, on the local level, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to, um, you know, sustainability and, you know, a lot of the areas that that intersect with this issue, I think there there are a lot of women. Mm -hmm. But I I think it depends. I think that there's more women sort of on the local level, um, on the community level, maybe less so um, on the industrial or, or corporate level with this issue. Um, but I think that... But like in waste management. In waste management. Um, I'm going to go with right. no. no I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You can just say <laughs> it's a very male-dominated field. And hopefully that's changing with you. But sustainability certainly is something that is more, I would say, broadly... It's a um, woman's issue. It's a woman's <laughs> issue. Because <laughs> we're only get, we're going to get this shit done, you know? It's <laughs> like, it's an issue. We got to fix it. We solve a lot of issues anyways. It's on us. We're in, it's in the works. <laughs> yeah. Well, I should have seen some stat a long time ago that men recycle less. Really? Yeah. I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now that I've um, now that I'm done offending, I'm sure a lot of people. Um, let's move on, shall it's okay, we? Okay. As long as you say you saw stats somewhere, right? All right. <laughs> and I did though. I'll I have read to it. it. Yeah, I read it. And like I read it somewhere. I, I love saying that. Actually, I'm like, yeah, I read. You know, I read it somewhere. I just decided that it was true and adopted it <laughs> as my opinion. Okay, we're just going to take a really quick commercial break uh, to hear a word from our sponsors, but stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 Potato Chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Okay, and we're back where I am joined in the studio today with co-founder and CEO of Ambrosia, Amanda Weeks. Um, okay. Velez. What's Velez? We already said. It's a it's the first product from Ambrosia. So exciting. Recently on the market. Yes. People seem to like it. We just need to make sure that people know about it. <laughs> That's a good thing you're people here. People who know about it seem to like it. Yeah. We just need to make sure more people know about it. Okay. So an all-purpose cleaner. How why why? I I don't think I think like food waste, I'm not like obviously. Right. It's funny. It's like very actually kind of opposite, which I think was one of the things that that drew me to it um, was that it was so opposed, you know, cleaning with garbage. Yeah. You like it. You like a challenge. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, And so this is something that we actually stumbled upon. And so I I, I, I go to great lengths to, uh, we were just talking about this this week, actually, where I I really want to make sure people know that I didn't set out to make a cleaning product. Why? Well, because it just like, it just seems kind of silly in a way. Like sometimes, especially when we're in the thick of launching this product, and I was like, can't believe I'm so stressed out over this stupid cleaning product. I'm so sick of it. It's like, ugh, okay, it's just a, a cleaning product. No, this, is not, um, this represents <laughs> the potential um, to totally change yes. the world. Right. And so when you view it that way, and so that's why I want to frame it as like, I didn't set out to make cleaning products. Like, I didn't have this idea one day where I was like, I'm going to make a cleaning product. Right, 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 right. Yeah. It was like, I was looking for ways to process food waste to derive new ingredients and chemicals from food waste, to isolate what already exists in food waste, um, and and to you know do so in a way that's clean um, and doesn't smell bad, and you know you can do it in a city, obviously, because we were mm-hmm. just talking about how everything comes back to we have to be able to do this in a city. Mm-hmm. And so we um, a, a byproduct of our. Um, you know, different process testing 
was this um, sort of like mix of water, organic acids, and alcohol. And, you know, uh, uh, on the side, as a person and consumer, I've also gotten really into um, reading ingredient labels and, you know, researching all of my personal care products. Um, And so I looked at that and I was like, oh, I think... I think we have a natural cleaner. Mm-hmm. And then we started testing it. So we sent it out to different labs um, to test its composition, make sure it was safe, make sure there wasn't anything else in there. Um, and then we started uh, working with different consumer products labs for efficacy testing, so to test that it actually could clean. Um, so we tested that over, over the course of like two-ish years. Um, with different labs, uh, different types of like soil testing on different surfaces, comparing ourselves to different brands, both conventional and natural. Um, and every single time we got the results back, uh, it exceeded my expectations. Um, we and uh, industry, not just your expectations, like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we 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 outperform some of the leading glass and stainless steel cleaners i mean that's amazing yeah yeah i'm like get more excited about that amanda that's really great <laughs> <laughs> it's been a really long week <laughs> <laughs> i've just also just been like talking about this for so long that i'm like yeah you know whatever <laughs> um that thing that happened um um and uh, and so as I was saying before, it just seemed like you know we had a, we had a couple other things that we were working on. We were working on a fertilizer product, and you know I made the call that this was the product that we should prioritize because no one else was making a cleaning product from food waste. Yep. Why would they? <laughs> and uh, and it seemed like you know it was a, a convergence of you know uh, different trends in terms of I think cleaning products were really one of the first products that people started to question what was in it mm-hmm. and people started making demands of what should be in it and how they should be made. And I think that that's now really permeating across the consumer products industry, but it seemed like, you know, a, a large swath of consumers had already got on the bandwagon of using natural cleaners. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't something that we needed to convince them to do. Mm-hmm. And so it seemed like a good category to be in to say, okay, you, you know all about natural cleaners now, you know, you have, you have the expectation that, you know, a cleaner has to have these things, um, you know, it has to not have these ingredients, et cetera. Well, okay, well, let's, ex- let's educate you about the next layer of that, which is the, sorry, I'm leaning back from the microphone, um, which is the, um, like, how is it made? what's the impact of those ingredients? Where do they come from? Um, and, you know, is there a way that by using my products, I can actually, you know, make an impact and I can make some easy uh, changes in my life that feel very sort of measurable? Mm-hmm. You're writing something. Well, I was trying to signal to Jeet that we'll do the break later. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was doing something wrong. No, 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 okay. no. You're perfect. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> um, okay, so I think a lot of people... Okay, so the ba- the basic... What I think you said are like the basic components of this are the same basically, just as in other natural cleaners in yes. terms of the ingredients, right? Yes. Um, they just happen to perform Be- just as well or better than than them. Um, what... Uh, what... Um, what was I going to ask about? Oh, I, I remember. Um, how do we know that it's effective? I think that there are certain, like, I mean, you talked about lab testing, but I think that there's, well, first of all, what kind of lab tests did you do? Um, and then I want to talk about, like, the general kind of perception, whether or not you think that's changed of do all natural cleaners actually work versus Clorox? Like, if I really need to clean my bathroom and it's a, you know, like I really need to clean something. Mm-hmm. What does it work? So first tell us about like the tests. Okay. So we've done different tests. One was, um, on reflective light units or RLUs. That's a measurement of, um, 
sort of debris and organic matter on a surface, just like crumbs and gunk and and things like that. Um, And it's typically used as a, a measurement in food safety. And so that was the first test we ever did. Um, and we performed well on that um, compared to, and I don't want to say brand names mm-hmm. um, because I don't know. Because we, we, don't, we, don't we don't have the money to like back up these, <laughs> you're to like to go up against, you know, some big company. Right, if you get sued. Uh, um, even though it's true. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, even though like we have lab results, but I just don't know how, how all that works. So I'm just not going to say it. Um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, so, uh, and we compared ourselves specifically, I, I wanted to compare ourselves to, like, a very intense conventional cleaner that you think of when you think of clean um, that has bleach in it. Um, and then, you know, what also with a leading, um, you know, natural cleaner that's, you know, in the, in the grocery store and is, you know, a, a big brand and isn't like a, you know, a totally like crunchy granola type of thing. <laughs> Um, so we tested ourselves against some pretty, pretty big brands, um, both conventional and natural cleaning. Um, and we, uh, performed just as well, I think a little bit better, um, than one of them, um, at reducing RLUs. Um, and then we did some other tests, um, one on glass against, uh, you know, the, a, a big glass cleaner, and we outperformed the glass cleaner um, and, and left less streaks, which is very exciting. Mm. Um, less streaking and filming. And then we also tested on stainless steel. I guess a stainless steel cleaner. Um, outperformed that. Um, and then we were also tested on um, different types of soils. So we did a test for soap scum. Which I think is so cool because the way that it's recreated in a lab is like standardized. And so it's like a certain percent of shaving cream, a certain percentage of toothpaste, a certain percentage of hair gel. It's all kind of mixed like up. Like those actual products? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how you recreate soap scum in a, in a lab, you know, in in a day, you know, instead of having to like let it sort of build up. Yeah. Um, and then there was another one called Hucker Soil which is intended to, which is used in hospital settings um, and is, is viewed as sort of like a worst case scenario. And I think it's um, intended to sort of recreate the, um, like the viscosity of um, blood and fecal matter. Um, and so we clean that. Oh, so, all right. Lovely. <laughs> so we cleaned it. So it works. So now yes. if anybody's listening has any doubts, just know <laughs> we is, the bases have been covered. Yes. Um, yeah. And so it was just we did all those tests. And that's why it took us so long to bring this to market. We've been working on it for, you know, two and a half years was because we wanted to make sure um, and that we wanted to test for, you know, we wanted to be able to recreate those results. We wanted to be able to make sure that we can. Um, you know, create this product consistently because we do take in mixed food waste. Um, again, another big uh, objective is, of ours. Which is what? Which is um, pre and post consumer food waste. And it's just, it's just anything. Um, and it can change from day to day. So it's, you know, meat, bones, dairy, vegetables, you know, all, all food waste. There are other types of processing technologies that need it to be consistent or it will throw their system out of whack or, you know, can't accept certain things. And so it was very important to us that we developed a process for mixed food waste, again, to actually provide a, a real waste solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but that's why we, it's, we spent so long on this product is to make sure that it, we, we could produce it consistently, um, that we can keep the, um, the formulation consistent, that um, we can recreate the test results. And so, yeah, I re- really wanted to make sure um, before we went down the road of, you know, uh, branding design and package design and all this stuff that, that we made sure that it was a safe product that actually worked. And so we spent about two years doing that. One of the questions I get a lot is, what does it smell like? Mm-hmm. Um, it smells good. It smells good. And it took us a while to figure out the right scent because we didn't want it to be too fragrancy. Um, 
uh, but we wanted it to smell clean because because people do people always ask what does it smell like and so we felt like we needed to give it a scent but it's a very basic scent it's three essential oils um, it's bergamot peppermint and lavender lavender thank you I mean not that I know that but yeah. <laughs> um, and we've been and we've been getting really good feedback on it. Um, from a variety of different people. Yeah, and that was a, a process. Yes, it was. Well, I think that it, you, you know, it wasn't just the, and this is, these are things I'm sure that you've learned throughout the creation of a cleaning product, but it was, it's not just a scent, right, that you have to account for. Or the oils, the like, the, you know, to make it smell nice. Well, yeah, it was, um, the fragrance industry is wild. Um, and it was... Uh, really difficult. Sorry, I'm swallowing. Um, so it was really difficult to formulate a fragrance that worked, that was traceable, that we knew where it came from. We knew how it was produced because there are different ways of producing essential oils that are sort of less good than others. And so many, um, you know, big fragrance houses just don't operate that way. Um, we had to formulate our own fragrance stabilizer from a natural alternative because what's in use at most big fragrance houses are um, ingredients that are uh, petrochemical derived. And so it was something that we really had to go out of our way to find um, find fragrance that we felt wouldn't n- negate our claims. Yeah, that was a really big deal. <laughs> The little things that I think you don't realize, right? Like in in bringing a product to market, especially if you don't have a cleaning or fragrance background or anything like that, you know? The joys of being a startup. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about packaging because we we talked about it a little bit before and this is like, um, it's a big, you know, it's big selling point of the product besides it being totally beautiful there were a lot of decisions you made along the way about um the types of materials that you you know ultimately decided to go with so tell us about those well our bottle is aluminum which i mentioned before why is that a big deal because it's lightweight, uh, so we thought it was a better alternative to glass. And also, um, glass doesn't really get recycled all that often. Um, and aluminum is infinitely recyclable and never downgrades. Pretty much every other, you know, material that you could use in packaging, plastic, glass, etc. They all paper. Um, they all downgrade. You can only recycle them so many times. And, um, you know, it also depends on where you live, what types of plastics may be accepted. And so aluminum has been, you know, recyclable since the 1940s. So we felt like it, if you, you know, it, A, this is, this is a reusable bottle. There are other cleaning product companies that sell refills that, that sell their reusable bottle and it's plastic. And so it's like, okay, well, you're using the one plastic bottle instead of using, you know, 20 plastic bottles, but you're still using a plastic bottle and that plastic bottle is still going to, you know, live on. Mm-hmm. And so we, we figured that, and like also people are ju- constantly jumping around and trying different things. And, and are you really going to use that cleaning product for the rest yeah. of your life? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, and so we felt like. You know, we we wanted, even though it's a reusable bottle, we wanted to make sure that that reusable bottle was recyclable. Um, And we also spent a lot of time on our uh, labeling and package design because we wanted it to look cool. We wanted it to um, look nice on someone's counter. That was really important to me. Like, I wanted it to feel kind of like an appliance. And I also wanted the branding to counteract this notion that it, you know, that, that it was food waste. Mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to elevate it. Um, and then the trigger sprayer is plastic, but there are no metal parts and it's clear. So it's likely that it will actually get recycled because it's going to be um, more valuable in the recycled market for those reasons. Why not use aluminum for the trigger? It's a good question. Um, 
I don't know. There's nothing available off the shelf. And so that's the other thing. We are kind of limited to to what what's available off the shelf. Mm-hmm. I think in the future, if we move towards more of a custom bottle and, and even move towards more um, something even more durable like stainless steel or something like that, um, I think we can look into that once we're able to fully design a, a bottle from scratch. Right. But, I mean, that's like you're thinking, you know, stainless steel like a swell water bottle thing right. like that's gonna it's built to last yeah <laughs> type of situation yet also recyclable if you decide to make a mistake have me if you would like make a mistake and decide yeah. to go with something else in the future <laughs> um what about bioplastics for the trigger though um well there weren't really a lot of options um i don't know if you can get a bioplastic trigger that's like durable enough mm-hmm. um and bioplastics are still really young um I like them a lot. Um, I like to say that it's less bad if they end up in the ocean. Like if I go get, you know, a coffee um, and I don't have a reusable cup with me or something because I forgot it. If if they have a bioplastic cup, it makes me feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the the whole ecosystem to recycle and reuse those bioplastic polymers don't don't quite exist yet. And then it's also, there's a lot of issues in terms of um, getting mingled with the normal recycling stream. And then it's hard to sort out. It's hard to know what is bioplastic and what's not. And then you end up having bioplastics that are jeopardizing plastics recycling because it's sort of contaminating um, that stream. Mm -hmm. So not really a solution right now. Um. No, I mean, I guess it depends on a solution to what. For a, to, like, like a solution like an alternative to, have, to right. Well, I like I, I, what I mean by that is, you know, I like to say that it's less bad, but it ends up in the ocean, and so it's like, it's a, it, is it a solution to just having less plastic waste in you know in the stomach of a turtle? Yes. Is it a? Is it the um, like? perfect solution that I think, you know, uh, people are being told it is. No, it's more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. Like everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we have time for a couple more questions. Um, just like off the, you know, what is one of the one or two kind of big lessons learned that you've learned that you have kind of, uh, taken away over the past two years when you really started this like R and D process for creating a product that you will use to inform future product developments? Um, well, I think that we did and do have a lot of competing priorities. There are a bunch of different directions that we can go in and they're informed by multiple factors being, you know, the market opportunity and the you know time to market and the sales cycle um and so i think that right now we're just about to move into a new phase of of what are we working on next while we're also trying to grow this brand and have it not be a dud because that will you know hurt our future efforts of whatever (laughs) we do next Mm -hmm. um and so you know we're a small team and so I think that you know, knowing a thing that's something that I've struggled with over the last couple of years um, is just like being appropriately staffed and, and knowing what we're going to need um, and having and having the right people for that. And that's something that I'm trying really hard to um, for, for this next stage of our growth to make sure that we have the right people mm-hmm. Um and because I think that there are certain aspects of, you know, starting launching this cleaning product where, you know, if we would have had someone on the team who had a background in you know, product formulation from a big consumer products company, that might have been helpful. Mm-hmm. But we also just like didn't really have the, the budget for that. And so it's how do we how do we bring, you know, enough generalists onto the team that, you know, can be flexible and can you know, our our associate scientist didn't have a background in that at all? Totally jumped in and 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 led our fragrance formulation mm-hmm. and did a great job. Um, and so you know how do we 
adapt to that sort of learning curve of, you know, not being able to have everyone on the team be super specialized, but also to not be like fumbling around in the dark. Right. So, which I imagine is a, you know, this is a, something that I think a lot of startups probably have to navigate. Um, because I don't know if a lot of startups have like $10 million on day one. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. No, pretty but sure not. No, but they're also, I think in a lot of ways doing, doing things that are more straightforward. Yeah, like, also true. If we were just like a software company, we were just like, <laughs> what no, no, not to disparage <laughs> software companies, but it's just like, I don't know. It's just so funny. I look at so many other startups now and I'm just like, oh, it seems so easy. <laughs> <laughs> why did I think of doing that? Yeah. Why didn't you just do an app? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, maybe next time. Um, all right. Last two questions. Uh, the price point. Oh, Yeah. Um, so the bottle is $20, um, which uh, is totally on par for other uh, refillable cleaning product brands. Generally, they're like 18 to 30 or something like that. Um, and, you know, it's aluminum. While it is you know, widely available, it's also not cheap. And the reason why we have so much plastic is that it's cheap. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, a lot of our expectation of products being cheap is kind of like why we're in this mess and why, you know, we're concerned about the environment and concerned about the climate is because of the demand for cheap products and cheaply made products. But it's just crazy to me, like when I think about it, when people just get so like up in arms over the fact that it's $20, it's like, how long are you going to use that? You're going to use it for months. Right. You spent $5 on a coffee today. It's just like, or you spend, you know, or, or you spend like $12 on a cocktail or something or more on a cocktail. And so I just think that there's this like weird, there's just like weird expectation for products like this to be cheap when the, everything that has gone into it has been, has been like so much more like labor intensive and innovative and considerate than, you know, you would spend you would spend that on like lunch for two days yeah. and then you're getting, you're, you're getting a product that has done all these things that you're going to use for months. And that is also like priced appropriately for the type of product that it is. I mean, you literally, you just described like all of the issues of the food system, right? People expect the food to be cheap and there are all of these um, consequences that result from that that are incredibly detrimental to our collective health and well-being. Yeah, and I think we just need to try to, I don't know how, but I think we just need to tr need to try to put some perspective on that because I think it's wild when you think about how much some certain things are mm -hmm. that, like a coffee or like, um, I don't know, like so so many things. It's just conditioning people to, pri to yeah. like prioritize, to like, you know, put so certain priorities over others um, for reasons that are ultimately going to be much more beneficial to like the collective us. Yeah. And it's not even that expensive. It's not like it's eighty dollars. No. It's like come on. <laughs> I don't think that we've I don't think that there's been like a lot of pushback. I feel like it's um I mean we'll see. But also refills yeah. are coming soon, right? Right. Yeah. And we're looking at the refills being like three dollars each. Hopefully. So. Um we'll we'll see. Our shipping has ended up being more expensive than we thought. Oh. <laughs> it's a recent development. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's all, you know, it, it's, it's all a balance of like trying to make something that people want that makes a difference because um, we all have to eat. We all have to make a living. And so if we can make a living, you know, making or selling a product that actually has this measurable impact, then, you know, I hope that we can strike the right balance of, um, of, of how we, you know, manage our logistics. <laughs> yeah. All right. Most important question of the night. Where can people buy a bottle of Velez? Oh, it's um, Velez.com. If you notice, Jenna and I both say it differently. Um, <laughs> well, and well, you I didn't know how to pronounce policy. it. Well, that's true. Who knows? I'm just, <laughs> I'm not the authority on anything, even the brand that I created. <laughs> Um, or the people you hired. Yeah, whatever. It's it's a hard last name. You clearly don't listen to the show, by the way. I'm busy. Yeah. Uh, um, 
Anyway, I, so it's actually kind of, uh, I, I love that people say it differently. That was actually a consideration when we came up with the brand and how are people going to know how to say it. But I think when so many digital first brands and companies are so many that you don't know really how to say. Um, and I kind of like that people say it differently because it also goes back to the fact that it's a shape-shifting Yeah, bag. there you go. Um, so anyway, I've, I've actually been thinking about um, changing my pronunciation to Velez instead of Velez. I just think Velez sounds like bougie, and I don't like it. Mm, I think um, it sounds... I, I like the way it sounds. <laughs> All right. Velez... V-E-L-E-S.com. Wow, you guys are just privy to like a, a, a you know, <laughs> an internal decision that was made. I feel really good about it. <laughs> All right, well, it's spelled the same way regardless. So, That's true. Yes, as long as you go to V-E-L-E-S.com, you'll be able to buy it. Okay, um, I think that's all I have for today. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Okay, um, wrapping up, I want to give a big thanks to our show sponsors. Our engineer is Jeet Paul, and the music is by Tim Archer. All episodes of Eating Matters are available on the HRN website or as a podcast wherever they're found. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. Leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. I'm Jenna Liute, and thanks for listening. Eating Matters is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right-hand side of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>